Okay, so for our text today, we'll be we'll be looking at First uh, Peter, uh, chapter three, verse seven. Only one verse. Um, in our last visit to First uh, Peter, we looked at the role and responsibilities of the wife within the context of marriage relationship in verses one through six, and we talked about the fact that that by God's design. Um, that women are to submit to their husbands in that, that leadership role. Um, and uh, we talked about the, 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 one of the big, great benefits of that is, is what an influence you can have on uh, a husband, a woman's conduct towards her husband can have an awesome effect and can, can really bring um, the light of the gospel to someone who might be lost. We, we, we looked at uh, what a value it is for respectful and pure conduct by the wife towards her husband. And we also talked about, in verse, in verse 3, we talked about the outward beauty versus the inward beauty of this manifestation of the spirit that, that God has built within, within the woman in this, in this context. That it's an imperishable beauty that doesn't fade with time. Of the, the imperishable beauty of a quiet and gentle spirit, the word says. And it says, in God's sight, it's very precious. And then he referred back also that as Sarah obeyed Abraham and, and the, um, the example that was given of these women of old, it was just the way it was back then. It was the way that they treated their husbands with respect. And it was an encouragement to them because that would give them confidence and they would have nothing to fear um, as a result. We also took a look at Genesis chapters 2 and 3 to discover the foundations of this idea of male headship established from the beginning in this union of man and woman before the fall of mankind. And the consequences of that sin that brought tension into the once pure and innocent design for the marriage union that God intended. In today's society, this concept generally not well accepted or received or accurately understood. Unfortunately, this can even be seen at times within the church. The Southern Baptist Convention a few years ago went through uh, quite an upheaval because there was a there was a move afoot to establish uh, pastors, female pastors, and we just believe that the Bible is clear about that. That that is not the way it should be. That um, that is not the place for a woman. It is not that there is not value in whatever a woman can contribute to to what we believe and to the church. But uh, anyway, they went. Uh, through quite a quite an upheaval there, uh, as a result of that influence on the church, so it's not just in the world. Um, outside of the church, radical feminism has declared war against a patriarchy and God's design of male headship within the church, within the family and the church, and that is what you see as, as a reflection within the SBC 
And that's how the outside world is imposing their ideas and their beliefs uh, on the church. Even with our best efforts to follow God's design for marriage, we still will experience the result of God's response to Adam's transgression as our federal head. A healthy and vibrant church begins with Christ at the center of our focus, with his word at the, uh, at, at the core of our relationship with him, in complete submission to God alone, led by the Holy Spirit to guide, comfort, and lead us, in his will for our lives. Our homes are where this process begins, and the husbands are where this responsibility ultimately falls. So as I said, our text for today will be First Peter verse 7. And on the, on the surface, so I think I mentioned this the last time when we spoke, on the surface, like there were six verses that outlined the woman's responsibility and and in this as and and only one for the men but trust me there's a lot packed into this one verse it is rich with meaning and understanding and hopefully I'll be able to bring that out here today but let's read it first peter chapter 3 verse 7 is likewise husbands live with your wife in an understanding way showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I, I, I thank you for your word, Father. I pray that as we examine your word, Lord, that you will help me to communicate this in a clear and in precise way, Lord, that no misunderstandings uh, will be brought forth, Lord, that, that we will see the truth of your word and that that is where we need to be looking for any, any opinions that we might have about this. What does your word say, Lord? We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy, Lord. And I just pray that you would guide us through this as we reveal your, the truth of your word today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. The first word we see in this verse is the word likewise. And this word used in this context has a sense of also or continuing along in that same area of discussion. Peter does not command submission of the husband to the wife, but instead the considerate use of that authority within the marriage. Any thought of submission here would be to that, that the man would submit to the authority of God in his actions regarding the responsibilities within the marriage. Remember, and as a reminder, the Greek word for submission is, is hupotasso, and, and uh, it means to be subject, uh, to arrange under, to subordinate, subordinate. It was, used, it was a word that was used in the Old Testament as a military term to describe the order of authority within the ranks. So I think we can see by the word used here that Peter does not infer that the husband is to submit to the wife in the same way that is stated in verse 1 of the same chapter that we covered last time, where wives are to submit to their own husbands. Paul said in 1 Corinthians eleven thirteen. 
that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of every woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. So we can see the prescribed order that it is in, in man. Christ is the head of man, and man is the head of his home, and God is the head of the church and the head of Christ. We can see that by God's definite plan, he will accomplish his purposes within this command structure through the husband first. For the man, along with that authority, comes great responsibility. He must strive to render his leadership as a reflection of the character of Christ towards his wife. She is, after all, the bride of Christ, first and foremost, and she should be treated accordingly. Gentlemen, she does not belong to you. She, too, has been purchased by the blood of Christ. She belongs to Christ. And we should treat that relationship accordingly. Therefore, the question is how for us, for husbands, I'm not a husband yet, but for husbands, how should a husband lead his wife in marriage? First of all, men must lead with intelligent leadership. Peter continues on in this verse and says that husbands live with your wives in an understanding way. A godly husband lives with his wife. He doesn't just merely share a home or a house, but he truly lives with her. He recognizes a great point of Paul's teaching on marriage in Ephesians 5.28 that husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. A godly husband understands the essential unity that comes with the oneness of this relationship that God has established between the husband and the wife. This term, understanding, let's look a little bit closer at that. It, it has a wide variety of meanings, and I think all, really in some way all of them apply here. And the word understanding in the Greek is gnosis, gnosis, gnosis. I think the G is silent there, but it means knowledge. Um, a general intelligence and understanding. Some of the meanings are a general knowledge of the Christian religion, a deeper, more perfect, and an enlarged knowledge of this religion, such as belongs to the more advanced especially of things lawful and unlawful for Christians, moral wisdom such as seen in right living. So, of course, understanding of their personal needs, their personal desires, their, their wants, their needs, that, that is utmost for a Christian husband to be aware and to be in that place of understanding. He has to know his wife, know the, what triggers her, know what, what things bless her, know those things. But it also means that we, are, we have a responsibility to, to raise them up in the understanding of the word and to grow as Christians and to, to deepen their faith in their relationship with Christ through regular prayer and, and, and um, just uh, that intimate relationship that we, that we have with them. The knowledge that Peter's referring to may also be knowledge of God's purposes and principles for marriage. 
knowledge of the wife's desires, goals, and frustrations, knowledge of her strengths and her weaknesses in the physical, emotional, and spiritual realms. Your ability to attain a greater understanding of your wife will be a great benefit to the marriage relationship. This knowledge comes through regular study of God's Word and your private fellowship together as husband and wife. Paul said in Romans 15, 14, verse 14, I myself am satisfied with you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. So we can see that's an example of that knowledge includes instruction. It includes growth and spiritual instruction as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2 says, and I have, and if I have all prophetic powers and understanding, all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I have nothing. So coupled with this is is our motivation to engage in this in this process of growth is love. That's the most important aspect of that. We it has to be motivated out of love. First and foremost, it is your love for Christ that should compel you. Your desire to submit to the Lord and be obedient to his commands should be of utmost importance and the driving motivation behind your efforts, man. Second only to that is your love for your wife within the family model, the husband, the wife, and the children relationship. The relationship between the husband and the wife holds a very special place in God's order in the marriage. Ephesians 5.31, Paul quotes Genesis, which we covered in in the last time we were here. He quotes uh, what we read in Genesis 2.24. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Within their oneness, there, there is a hierarchy of authority, but also an equality of worth in the eyes of the Lord. Because man is deemed to be in charge of that relationship, it doesn't make him better. It just, it just is a different area of responsibility. Uh, both are equal. We are all equal in the eyes of the Lord. There is no, uh, there is no special place for the man because of this position. Husbands and wives have equal standing in eternity and in God's eyes. Just different roles, different responsibilities. In the relationship between the husband and wife, if the relationship between the husband and wife is in order, the family as a whole will be strengthened and the children will see that Christ is at the center of your relationship. A model displayed for them that they will hopefully take with them in their own walk of faith. The effort of a godly husband to lead his wife with this kind of love is the most important effort he can put forth in his marriage. Secondly, husbands must lead with deliberate love. Peter continues by saying, we we show honor to the woman, the wife, as the weaker vessel. A godly husband knows how to make his wife feel honored. Though she she submits to him, it is incumbent upon him 
not to treat her as a slave or an employee. That just isn't the way it works. You're not there to just issue orders and bark out commands. That's not what this is all about at all. He is there to guide, spiritually guide that relationship. God will not honor these efforts as they are not true reflections of his character. You must make great effort to exhibit the love of Christ in your marriage. He continues, in giving honor to the wife, the word in the ancient Greek language for wife is gunakios. A rare word that's only used once in the New Testament, in this verse, meaning more literally the feminine one. It suggests that the woman's feminine nature should be what compels the husband to honor her. This new dynamic taught in the New Testament regarding the relationship uh, between Christian married couples was a radical departure from the accepted societal norms of that time. Women were truly being liberated from very oppressive existence. In that ancient culture, a husband had absolute rights over his wife. The wife had virtually no rights in the marriage. If a man caught his wife in the act of adultery, he could kill her on the spot and rightfully be justified within Roman law. If a wife caught her husband in the act of adultery, she could do nothing against him. All these duties and obligations in the marriage fell upon the wife. This new radical teaching taught that the husband has God-ordained duties and obligations towards his wife. This was a, a radical thing probably more for the men than it was for the women. The condition that existed back then, the rights that women had, go far beyond what I listed. I only listed a couple. There were women as far as inheritance, as far as just so many laws just came against the women back then. And it, it, um, it's sad to me that the feminist movement doesn't see this for what it truly is. Their efforts to, de to diminish the inherent feminine nature of women actually do more harm than good in spite of their best intentions to the, to the contrary. They, I think that they, they want to do what's right, but in actuality, I think that their efforts diminish and strip women of this beauty and this femininity and this, this vulnerability that, that is such a precious thing, not only in the eyes of God, but to your husbands. It, it is an awesome thing. And don't let everyone anyone ever rob you of that. And men, as your responsibility to render your wives the due honor and respect that God commands. So what are some practical ways that, that I can honor and respect my wife as a question for the husbands? Gentlemen, this might be a good time to take a couple of notes. I created a small list. These are not, uh, this is not an exhaustive list but it could be a helpful start for some of you. A husband listens to his wife's heart. A husband makes sure that she has adequate rest and leisure, helps her evaluate her friendships, serves 
her when it's helpful. He's patient and kind and is never, ever abusive, ever. He ensures she's taking in the word of God in various ways. He prays with her and for her. He opens the car door for her. Remembers her birthday and your anniversary. He cultivates intimacy by spending quality time with, with, with the wife in real conversation. He becomes a student of his wife so that you can understand her deepest needs and her desires. He honors and respects her with his words and his actions in both public and in your private lives. There's nothing more harmful than a man who says negative, discouraging things in public to other people about his wife. You shouldn't engage in that. It's shameful to me. He encourages her. He surprises her. He romances her. He is her tender warrior and her servant leader. These are just a few ways that you can show honor and respect to your wife. I'm sure there'll be many more. You guys can probably add to that list yourselves, I'm sure. But at least it can be a starting point. You may already be exercising all of these ideas and more of the ideas that I just named. Praise God. Some husbands, maybe just a few. Praise God as well, because you're on the right path. There may be some husbands here that may struggle with this in their marriage and don't see anything familiar here. Praise God still, because today is the day you can start. Printouts with this list are available on the back counter. Feel free to take one and add. I left room so you can add your own little list there. And it might be wise for you men to be the one to put this on your refrigerator instead of your wife putting it on the refrigerator. (laughs) And then ladies, if your husband is this guy who doesn't do this and you know that he needs to do it, don't be shocked when he starts to do what he knows he should have been doing all along. A husband was told by a marriage counselor to try and be more considerate of his wife. One day he comes home from work. He's dressed up in a suit. He has cologne on. And he has a bouquet of flowers and a box of candy in his hands. He rings the doorbell. And she's standing there. And he's standing there as she opens the door. He holds out the flowers and the box of candy. The wife opens the door. She takes one look at him standing there and starts crying. In between her sobs, she says, Oh, I can't believe it. Little Johnny has been throwing up. The dishwasher just broke. Your parents are coming to visit this weekend, and now you show up here drunk. (laughs) Be patient with them as they learn through this process. Give them little steps. They'll take little steps and they'll get there. Pray for them. (laughs) Pray for us as men. We lose it a lot. Continuing on. Peter then says, as to the weaker vessel, 
In this context, the weaker vessel speaks of a woman's relative physical weakness in, in comparison to men. Men are necessarily stronger spiritually than women, but they are gen, gen, generally stronger physically. On an, uh, women women are, are moored to their feminine nature and tend to react in ways that are tied more on an emotional level. Right? Guys, you know, we're pretty stoic for the most part. Women react emotionally. They're emotionally sensitive and they're emotionally um, uh, vulnerable. So they, they, they are weak and that's not, not weak. I don't like to use that word. But, but, but they, they do have emotional vulnerabilities that typically guys don't have. Um, they, they, they therefore are more vulnerable to emotional hurt. Men should take great care not to take advantage of this frailty as a mechanism to manipulate the marriage relationship. Colossians 3 verse 19 says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. As Peter, as Peter uh, brought in the idea of the woman's feminine nature and natural emotional frailties with the words the wife, the feminine one, he continues in appreciating the feminine nature and how God should, and how a husband should re- relate to it, respond to it. Third point, husbands must lead with honesty and openness. The third area that Peter uh, speaks of is the husband's understanding the need for unlimited sharing of his own life with his wife. That you are joint heirs, he says, of the grace of life heirs together in the grace of life. This means that the husband must recognize his wife's right to share every part of his thinking, of his whole life. All the barriers must come down between them. All the channels of communication must be open. There are no off-limit areas that he keeps separate from his wife. Challenging words. A godly husband realizes that his spouse is not only his wife, but also his sister in Jesus. Part of their part of their inheritance in the Lord is only realized when their oneness is fully realized as husband and wife. Wayne Grudem stated, This reminds husband that even though they have been given greater authority within the marriage, their wives are still equal to them in spiritual privilege and eternal importance because they are joint heirs. Finally, Peter ends with this, that your prayers may not be hindered. Peter here has one more point to make, a final word. It's not a word of exhortation, but a word of warning. Prayer here is a symbol of dependence upon God, from whom all the richness and glory of this life must come. It is only God that can make human life rich. And only a foolish man tries to find riches apart from God. That is the whole thrust of the Christian message. It is only in a restoration to God through Jesus Christ that man can find 
the intended richness and glory of life. And it is prayer, that sense of dependence, that expression of faith that makes possible all God's giving unto man. Failure by the husband to observe these things, he says, means spiritual impoverishment in that home. Your prayers will be hindered. C.H. Spurgeon said, Indeed, to true believers, prayer is so invaluable that the danger of hindering it is used by Peter as a motive why in their marriage relationships and household concerns they should behave themselves with with great wisdom. He bids the husband to dwell with his wife according to knowledge and render loving honor to her lest their, their united prayers should be hindered. Then he says, Anything which hinders prayer must be wrong. If any management of the family or want of management is injuring our power in prayer, there is urgent demand for an alteration. In Ephesians 5, verses 25-33, Paul explains, expands on the sentiments expressed by Peter. And what, what Peter expressed in one verse towards the men Paul expands into like 15 verses for the men's responsibility. You'll see that Paul corrected this imbalance. <laughs> it wasn't incorrect, but, but he expands more on the role of the husband. This husband's, verse 25, he writes, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave him up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. In that same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Are you nourishing and cherishing and honoring your wife in your relationship? That is what Christ does for us. If we are to be truly reflections of Christ in our marriage, we should be engaging in that as well. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. Verse 32, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying this, that this refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Considering the gift the Lord has given you and your wife, your helpmate, it is vitally important that you lead well. There are thousands of books out there that give many examples of what makes a successful leader. Servant leadership is at the top of my list anyway, and it could very well be at the top of yours. The book I found that is is in the Bible. To become a servant leader, we must keep our pride in check as men. This requires humility. Pride is a sin that men seem to be more susceptible to than women, but we still all struggle with it in our lives. 
as believers in Christ, the Word of God is where we turn to for guidance in every aspect of our lives to keep us on the right path. And Jesus is our example to follow. As husbands, you must be a man of the Word, a man of prayer, a man of integrity, a godly man, a spiritual man, a humble man, and a tender warrior. God has called men to the front lines of this spiritual battle, and we must be equipped to engage the enemy in this battle. To be a servant leader, we must turn to Scripture and to Christ as our example. Peter told us that Christ is our example to follow when we suffer. In chapter 2 of this same passage of Scripture, in verse 21, it says, For to you... For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. If we are pursuing humility and rest and resisting pride, we look to the word of God. 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but it is from the world. We spoke briefly about that this morning in our adult prayer meeting, the effect of pride, the sin of pride, the destructiveness of pride. In, in, in chapter 5, further on in this book, which we'll get to at a later date, uh, chapter 5, verse 5, Peter continues this and says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Remember about resisting your prayers? If, if you're not in the right place, God, is, God, God will not honor that. We have to be in the right place in order to have God's full presence with us to guide us through this harrowing process at times. It's difficult. None of us get it right all the time, but we must be taking forward steps and growth in our spiritual walk to make this happen. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Again, in Proverbs 11, verse 2, When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with all, but with, with the humble is wisdom. Luke 14, verse 11 Disregard that one. That was a misprint. <laughs> we also have to look at the, at the beauty and blessing of humility, which is what we strive for if we're eradicating pride from our lives. We must replace that with humility and with that idea that Christ is still our example. Um, I think that First uh, Peter 3.8 is finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Jesus is our ultimate example of humility all the way to the cross. Philippians 2 verse 8 says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's the limit 
that we must reveal and show humility in, 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 our, in, in the relationship, in the marriage relationship. The men must be humble servants and humble leaders. Because Jesus, he too, submitted to the farmer, uh, to the Father, as examples of obedience. In John chapter five, verse nineteen, it says, "So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise." With Jesus as our example. And by his own words, let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 13. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 20. Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, Having left his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when he, when, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper and laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel and tied it around his waist, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed the feet of the disciples, he put on his outer garments and resumed his place and said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, 
you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. In particular, I'd like to look at the, just point out 14 through, verses uh, 14 through 17, where it says, If I then, being your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to also do uh, the same thing to me, that I've given you an example. And isn't that the example of humility, that we should all be willing and prepared to accept in our own, in our own relationships with, our, with, with the wives, with the children, and with everyone around us. Humility is such a beautiful thing. We should be engaging in that on a regular basis. God sent his only begotten son, Jesus, to us as a God-man. Here we see Jesus humbling himself to the position of a slave. This was the lowest class of slave, the one who washes the feet of all who enter where they were. He, he washes the disciples' feet. He washed the feet of the disciple who would deny him. Even the feet of those who would betray him. Judas. What a powerful and beautiful example of humility, love, grace, and mercy for us to follow. But this was not the full extent of his humility. And Jesus has our ultimate example of humility all the way to the cross, where it says in Philippians 2.8, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And as we come to this time at the close of our service today, we'll be sharing in, in the Lord's Supper. It will be a reminder for us that Christ did shed his blood for us. Christ's body was broken for us. And as a reminder, we see that same, that same example. Jesus said that, that we are to do this often, this this uh, um, Lord's Supper often in remembrance of him. So we, we have so many examples of Christ leaving us an example for us to follow. And, and in this verse, in this particular verse, it indicates to me that there's no end of that as far as how far we take our humility and our humbleness in our, law, in our walk with Christ. So go and do likewise. So if you don't know Jesus and you're here today visiting with us, I want to invite you to consider the words of the Word of God. If Christ is speaking to your heart, I just I pray that you will respond, that you will give your life to Christ and answer that call in your life and and say yes. To that call because he is calling out to all of us and if you hear his voice I pray that you will repent and, and respond to that voice and come to Christ today let's pray dear Lord we thank you father that we we have you father we have you as an example we have you as our Lord our Savior, Lord, 
And we have you as our Redeemer, our God and our Comforter, Lord, our Guide, our, the sacrifice that was made for us on the cross. We can never earn, Lord, but you gave it freely by your grace unending, Lord, by your love and your forgiveness. You've touched our hearts and brought us to the cross, Lord, and we, we will forever kneel before your cross, Lord, and in, in just in, in complete adoration and worship of you, Lord, that, that you came into this world, you died, you suffered, you bled for us, Lord, and we thank you for that, Lord. And we pledge our lives, our work, our honor, our time, our talents to you because of that love that you first showed us, Lord. We, we pray that, that our lives will be acceptable to you, that our lives will be a testament to the goodness of God and the love of Jesus in our lives, Lord, that we will come to you and and worship you, Lord, and share this precious gospel message with those who need it to hear it so desperately. We thank you for your love and your forgiveness. We thank you for your mercy, Lord. But most of all, we thank you for the sacrifice that was made on the cross on Calvary where you shed your blood so that we might have life eternal. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.